Lord, thanks that you have given us a testimony of who you are and what you're like through the Holy Scriptures. We call it the Bible. And that you've revealed yourself to us there. Thanks that we have the chance to gather here this morning to worship you as we just did in song. And now as we worship you through opening our hearts and our minds to your word as you've revealed it to us. God, we pray that you'd breathe life into us through your word this morning. We commit this morning to you. We ask you to speak to us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a summer series at Cottonwood on the book of Acts, but this is sort of a break. If you were here with us last week, it was sort of a kind of a quasi-break. We looked at Acts 13 and then applied it by praying together. I wasn't actually here because I was out in Colorado with a bunch of our teens. We had our annual teen conference that happens to be in Colorado this year. And um, the message that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning is out of the book of Ephesians, and then we'll return to Acts for the rest of the summer. And the reason why I'm sharing this message is because I shared this message at the teen conference that we were at, and I thought it would be good for me to share it here with you. Um, HSLT, which is High School Leadership Training, is the name of our teen conference. The, the theme of the conference was Firm Foundations. And what we looked at over the course of four sessions, and then we had discussion groups um, as well, is we looked at four areas. We looked at relationships, in particular um, romantic relationships. Um, teens are pretty interested in that, if you didn't know, if you can't remember being a teen. So we talked about that topic and how we can build a firm foundation in our faith and how that can be a guide for us and how to uh, pursue those in a way that's honoring and godly. We also looked at standing in God's presence, how being present with God is so important to giving us a foundation for the rest of our life. And then we looked at building on God's promises, how we can build our lives on the promises that God has given to us. And the last session was running with God's family. That was the session I taught, and I actually twisted it a little bit, running with God's family. What I have learned in how to follow Christ with other people together one of the things that I've learned is that in pursuing unity and running with a group of Christians in, a, in the context of the local church in particular, one of the most important areas to pursue and maintain unity is our words. And so my message this morning is entitled, Speaking Truth in Love. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, the first 16 verses, most of them, not all of them. I'll be hopping around a little bit. Our teens and our parents, while we were out Thursday, we were in Nebraska for one night, and we drove up the mountain to Colorado, and then everyone else left on Sunday, and my family and I actually, we stayed for a week, the rest of the week for vacation. We met with God. We grew together. There's two people that got saved through the conference, which is pretty cool. I know some of you were here praying for the conference last Sunday. There's no big travel issues, although there was one car repair along the way that needed to be done, and actually one of the teens fixed it, which was pretty cool. Um, we didn't really have any injuries except one adult leader who fell while on a hike and lost the left side of his body. He's all right now. That was a dad joke. He lost the left side of his body, but he's all right now. All right, so one of my personal goals this year 
is to increase laughing, smiles, and eye rolls, and they make apps for that. So that's where I get all my material. <clears throat> On a serious note, I want to show you a picture of two of my daughters um, who are runners. This is Kayla and Josie. Uh, they were up here helping to sing part of the worship this morning. Josie is up here. Um, they run. I've never been a runner. I'm not a runner. Now, I'll run if it's like to chase something or like if a bear is chasing me, like I'll get away, try to. Or if it's a sport, I'm interested in running after something. So if there's a ball, kind of like a dog, I'll chase it. Basketball, soccer, whatever it is. Baseball, not enough really running too much standing around for me. has never been my biggest sport. Um, I recently retired from basketball four years ago, so you missed my retirement party for that. Um, my hips, actually, before I was going to Colorado, I, I, I've had, I, I had two really bad ankle sprains in high school, and my ankles talk to me every time I take a step, a um, little cracking. Um, my, I've never had problems with my knees or my hips, but two weeks before we went to Colorado, I started having really intense and sharp hip pain. And I think it's just me getting old and I need to do a little more stretching, so I tried to do that, and actually it was all right for hiking. But when I was in my 20s, I actually did have a goal of running a marathon. I had friends that were into running, and I thought, I'm athletic. I was. Then especially, I think I could do that. And I'd heard that, you know, to run a marathon, you don't start running a whole lot. You just start doing a little bit, and you work your way up, and that it's actually possible. And I thought, oh, maybe I should do that. That'd be cool. Now my goal is revised to I just want to be able to walk in my 70s and 80s. That's it. I, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't run a marathon. I never will, but I really hope to be able to walk in my 70s and 80s. When my oldest daughter, Kayla, started running cross-country, I, I fell in love with the sport, not because I wanted to do it. I fell in love with how positive and encouraging the environment is in the sport of running. And part of that is because the focus in running sports, cross-country or track in particular, there's only really, like, in North Dakota, there's one person who wins the cross-country race. All of the high school students. There's only one winner. And so what's the point of everyone else who competes? Well, it's to get a personal record, a PR, to improve my time again and again and again. And so what you're really excited about as the season progresses is at each meet, whether it's track or cross-country, is that you improve your times. You get a little faster and a little faster Sometimes that shows up, that picture up there is at the state track meet. Kayla's been able, had the privilege of competing at state track and placing uh, uh, at the state track meet in North Dakota. That's the Bismarck Bowl. There's always intense competition, but the culture that I fell in love with was really that everyone is hoping that everyone else does their best. And at times, the crowd will will people across the finish line in cross-country in particular, because that's a 3.1-mile race. I've never really ran, a, I think maybe once I've run a 5K on purpose. Um, but I realize that when you go to cross-country, you run them on accident. If you have two or three kids running, you're running all over golf courses, and if you track yourself, it's like I ran more than they did that day or walked. But sometimes the crowd, because of the intensity, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's a hillier course, sometimes it's just a tough running day, Sometimes the crowd is actually willing people across the finish line, hopefully with a PR, a personal record, but if not, with their head held high and knowing that people are supporting them. And that isn't just like the team you're rooting for. What I've observed is 
coaches of other teams cheering on all the other runners as they come around a corner and then coaching their own team as well. It's pretty amazing. Here's my sermon in a sentence. Running with God's family will require effort, patience, and humility, but it will empower you to run worthily all the way to the finish line of life. I really should have have said all the way to your finish line of life. I have tended to think about God's calling on each person's life that he gives each of us a personal, unique assignment to accomplish with the years, hours, and days that he gives us. And I think that running with God's family, if we'll, if we'll put the effort in, if we'll develop patience and humility, we'll be empowered to run that whole race, complete that whole unique assignment God's given to us in a worthy way. We're going to look at Ephesians 4. I really like the dry air in Colorado, but it did something to my voice, so I apologize. I'm a, about half an octave lower than usual. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy. By the way, walking in your 70s and 80s is a biblical goal. Right there. See it? Walk worthy. You can laugh or not. That's fine. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm going to make a few observations on this first couple verses. And first is this, that it takes effort to maintain unity. Just like it takes effort to run a race or to train for a race, it takes effort, we're called to, put effort into it, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And I think that's because, you know, you guys know what inertia is? An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object that's not in motion, like not running, tends to stay not running. That's probably why I'm not a a, a runner. It takes effort to overcome inertia. And here's some spiritual inertia that we tend not to overcome without effort. It says, with all humility. Uh, Humility is not natural to human beings. Actually, Pride and selfishness is more natural to humans. Gentleness is not natural to people. Now, you've probably met people like my wife who are more gentle than other people by nature, but they're not gentle all the time. If you, are, if, if you met my wife, you would know that she's a gentle person, but she's raised or is raising six kids, and it hasn't been gentle 100% of the time. You can ask her. Because gentleness isn't natural to us. Even the most gentle of us It requires effort to maintain that. Patience. Who's got a lot of that? Were you born with that? Some of you are more patient than others. Actually, we have some people in our house that are more patient than others. But it's not natural to be patient all the time. It takes effort to maintain it. Same with putting up with people. By the way, I love that phrase, bearing with one another in love. It's putting up with people when you'd rather not put up with them and choosing to do it in love. That's not natural either. If you're introverted, like me, you probably just are like, I'm done with people, I'll see you later, I'm going to the woods for a week. That might be what you'd prefer. Or maybe a year. Or maybe just, you know, the mountains are really nice last week. Maybe I could just find a cabin on the top and be away from everyone, except me and my wife and my kids until they grow up. 
unity. It's not natural. Some of you were like, I would never want to do that. I would want to be around people all the time. But guess what? They still bug you at times, even though you like them. It's because it's not natural to put up with people, bearing with their faults, inadequacies, and weaknesses. Unity will only be kept if you and I make every effort to keep it, is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4. It takes effort. Inertia is not in the direction of keeping unity. It's in the direction of not keeping unity. It takes effort to overcome that. I'm going to show you another picture of a, a runner at my house. This is my youngest daughter, Coraline. You may know this, that in Grand Forks, in the month of June, every Monday night at the Red River track, there is an, uh, an all-ages, actually, well, par- part of it is for all ages. There's all ages can run. For like three to eight-year-olds, they have like the 50 and the 100-meter dash, and you can do like a softball throw and a long jump and stuff like that. And then for the older kids, they do things like the 400 and the 800. And then at the very end of the meet, they do the community mile. That's all ages. You don't have to run it. You can walk it. You can push a stroller. I've seen all of that happen at the community mile. It's usually a really full house at the beginning. Actually, it's really fun to watch three to five-year-olds run the 50-meter dash in groups. It's really fun. See the really competitive ones. See the ones that are really distracted, looking for their mom and dad in the crowd. It's really funny. Coraline was determined last year when she was two and a half, to try to run the mile. And she got three laps around. No, two. Two and a half? Two. She got two. So she did half a mile last year. That's pretty good. By the way, the, the, the track, it, once you get on it and you start running, it's bigger than you think it is. If you've ever watched the Olympics, it takes a long time to get around there. Um, this year, Corlin was determined to run the whole mile. And she did. The first track meet, Corlin ran the whole mile. Josie jogged beside her, encouraging her the whole way. You know, Coraline needed a little extra help a couple of times. She needed a a little bit of a piggyback ride for maybe 50 meters or so, I think maybe twice with Josie. But she got across the finish line, and she got that blue ribbon that's waving there in front of her because when you finish the mile, they do it by age and gender. And so if you're the first person in your age group and your gender, then you get there's only two people in her age group, one boy and one girl. So she got a blue ribbon. She's pretty excited about that. The second week came around, and Josie was working, and the track meet went on, and I was there in my keen sandals, and Andrea looked at me and said, well, Josie's not here. Are you going to run with her, or am I going to run with her? You heard me say I'm not a runner at the beginning, right? Not a runner. Had my keen sandals on, but I decided, and by the way, it's like that 90-degree day, the second weekend in June. <clears throat> this is really nice, pretty windy, and, not, and really hot. So... We started running. I ran beside Coraline. I was not as encouraging as Josie, I'm sure, because Josie's super encouraging. Um, I'm, I can be encouraging when I try really hard, and I was trying really hard to encourage Coraline. She needed a few piggyback rides as well. But I think because of the heat, as we got close to the third lap and everybody else on the track had already finished, so she would have one lap all by herself, She was ready to be done, and she said, maybe I'll just do three laps. And I said, fine, that's okay. Great, you did it last week. You know, let's go. Except if you do three laps in a mile race, you didn't finish the race, so you don't get a ribbon. It's just the way it works. You have to finish the race to get the prize. She was really upset by that. So it was just instant. Like had happened at least 20 times on that racetrack when various kids in that her age group didn't get a ribbon at the end of the 50-meter dash and their heat or whatever. It happened many times. 
So Lizzie, who had just run the mile, came up to Coraline and said, Coraline, I'll run with you too. We could all three run together. And so after a little bit of talking, she kept running, and she went all the way around, got a little bit of a piggyback ride again from Dad, and then finished the race, and she got a ribbon, and she was super happy. Guys, I think that that's a little bit more like what running with God's family for a lifetime is like. We need a lot of encouragement. Um, I will just say that at times, I have made the mistake that I observed other dads and maybe some moms at that race, which is trying to coach technique to a five-year-old in a 50-meter dash when they didn't win. They don't really know what they're doing. And at that point, what Corlin didn't need was to like for me to coach her, like, honey, you need to lengthen your stride a little bit. You're able to go a little bit farther. You know, move your arms as well. Um, she didn't need that. She just needed encouragement. And she needed a little piggyback ride once in a while. Now, I know that doesn't count in a real race in high school or something like that. But in the race of life, once in a while, you and I need just a little bit of help. Sometimes you need someone to walk with us, maybe put their arm around us, maybe carry us a little while. Verse 4 of Ephesians says this. There is one body in Christ, one head of the church, one, by the way, there's a lot of ones in here. It's good to take note of how many ones when this passage is focused on unity. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Reality is this. There's one body in Christ, one head of the church, one God, and one Father of all. It's easy to focus on my experience with God, my personal walk with God. Actually, it's probably one of the great assets of the last 50 years of the church in the West is to help people understand and figure out how to have a personal relationship with God. But it's not just personal. There's only one body. And if I focus too much on my personal, my own walk with God, my own relationship with Christ, I might forget in focusing there, which is important, that my relationships, my joy, my fun level, my friends are not the most important thing. Actually, what Paul's focusing us is telling us to make every effort, every effort to maintain unity in Christ. Uh, after I gave this message, a very similar message to this at high school leadership training, it was late at night. Like when I say late, I mean like 9 o'clock because when you're 44, that's late. It was late, like 9, and our youngest one had sat through dad preaching late at night and she was ready for bed and so Andrew was going to take her back. She leaned over and said, I'm proud of you after I gave the message. And that really meant a lot, actually. I told her later, it really meant a lot when you said, I'm proud of you. It encouraged me. It pushed me along. It cheered me on in my race. It helps me to keep running. Encouragement helps you and I to both keep running. When we do things well, when we're feeling overwhelmed, encouragement helps us to continue. I don't know about you, but I can be a selfish jerk. I just can I can be focused on myself. I can be inconsiderate. I can be harsh. I can be uh, demanding, critical. I can offer unasked for and unhelpful advice when I think I have a good idea to fix your situation. I can offer sarcasm at times or put downs. 
You know, in our culture today in this country, if you differ on a significant cultural or political issue, the encouragement is really to flush the other person's views and maybe themselves down the toilet if you disagree strongly enough. That's pretty much what our culture would say. If you don't agree with me, I don't, I don't need you around, actually. That is not, in, in, the church, in the church of God, there's room for differences of opinions on things that are not absolutely clear in the scriptures, and we can start, still figure out how to love, enjoy, and not want to flush each other down the toilet to use maybe over-the-top language. You know, when I was running with Coraline that last lap, and she was tired and needed a little bit of a break on the back, the, the, front, the front stretch, actually. It was like after she ran the first hundred, maybe like the last, second hundred or so. She needed a little bit of a break. She said, I'm, I'm a little tired and need a little bit of help. That's the way she puts it. Dad, I need a little bit of help. My legs are tired. So I gave her a little piggyback ride around there. Um, what uh, our words can do to people within the church and the relationships we're in, if we're not careful, is it can be a little bit like, instead of me offering to give a ride to my little daughter or encourage her to keep going, is to say, just get off the track and shove her into the infield. What would you have done if you were watching the race and you saw me as a dad? Shove my three-year-old. Just get off the track. You can't finish. You're tired. Just forget it. I'll finish without you. Be a little bit of a gasp probably a drop jaw, right? If we're not careful, our words can be like that to each other. Here's what uh, Ephesians goes on to say, actually, about the family of God. In verse 11 through 13, Ephesians says this. Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. He himself, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Okay. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. My focus when I've read this passage, oftentimes as the past, is to focus on the gifts to the body. Because I'm really excited about having, maybe it's part of how I'm wired, but having a, a role or a position of something to use to help build into other people, I'm really, I have a tendency to look for that. But let me ask you, can you put verse 11 back up there, please? Uh, actually, 12. He gave some to be apostles. That's the list of gifts in 11. What does verse 12 say is the purpose of the gifts? Purpose of the gifts is to equip the saints. It's not so that someone has a special spot in the body. It's so that the saints would be equipped. And Why are the saints equipped? Verse 12 goes on to say, it's to build up the body of Christ. And why is the body to be built up? That we would, verse 13, reach unity in the faith. Can you see the theme here? Even gifts within the church, the purpose of them is to bring unity in the faith. And here's why. Verse 14, then... We will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. My rephrasing of that is then, if we are being built, 
equipping, attaining unity, then we'll have the firm foundation that we need to the end of our lives. We won't get tossed around by ideas, confused by cunning thoughts, deceived by cleverness. And so let's focus on verse 15 for a couple minutes here. Here's the focus this morning. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. If we reach unity in knowing Jesus and reach toward maturity in the fullness of Jesus, we will be firmly planted, but that won't happen unless we do this. Speak the truth in love. Here's my contention. If there were a coin of life and on one side was pride, which is a persistent human struggle, I think the other side, if the pride would be like the heads of the coin, the tails of the coin would be insecurity. They're the same. It's the same issue. Pride and insecurity are two sides of the same coin. Sometimes out of pride, we speak, and it's not the truth in love. Sometimes out of insecurity, we speak or don't speak, and it's not the truth in love. I think that speaking the truth in love means owning the truth before God and not hiding it from myself. So I'm going to put a list of ways of speaking that aren't always bad, but sometimes when they're spoken out of pride or insecurity, they can be. The first one is sarcasm. Sometimes I'm sarcastic, and the reason is that I'm not brave enough to tell you truthfully how I feel or what I'm really thinking. And so I make a comment. Teasing can be okay, but sometimes it's I'm, I'm doing it because I'm not confident enough to truthfully express my honest emotions, and so I tease instead of really say what I feel, and I'm not, it's not truthful, it's not honest. Put-downs are the same. Put-downs often are, I'm not secure enough to tell you truthfully what I do appreciate yet about you. It's easier if I put you down and make myself feel a little better. I'm a little uncomfortable recognizing your strengths. Flattery can be, I'm not strong enough to set limits on what I can cheer for. Flirting can be, I'm not, this is to teens, by the way, I'm not confident enough to truthfully appreciate your strengths, your beauty, your personality, without getting your attention on me. Now, if you're married, flirting is great. So I say sometimes. Sometimes we fall into these habits. Sometimes if you're really introverted, quieter silence might be your pride or insecure verbal habit. You're quieter silent because what you're thinking is I'm not worth enough to honestly say anything that someone might appreciate. That's not true. It's not speaking the truth and it's not loving. You might be standoffish or aloof and that might be because what you're really thinking is I'm not daring enough. What's really true, I'm not daring enough to honestly engage with someone I am not sure will respond well to me. And so I'm a little standoffish. I'm tentative to engage with people. These are just a couple examples, guys. And I spoke to teens, but I was speaking to myself last week when I gave this message. But there's a reason why I've memorized a verse in Ephesians in two going on three, and it will be more before my race is done. And that's Ephesians 4.29. Because this is a persistent struggle of mine. Here's what Ephesians 4.29 says, connects to this theme of speaking the truth. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And the second verse after that, verse 30, is really important not to miss. 
and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's like an add-on. I think what Paul's emphasizing is that when we use language in a way that isn't building up, doesn't give grace, it actually grieves. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And that word foul language doesn't just mean dropping an F-bomb. It can be that. It really means putrid, like revolting, like uh, rotting, like, you know, some roadkill that's been there for a few days on the side of the road and you go over it to take a whiff. Uh, that's the language that he's talking about. When I use my words in a putrid fashion, including everything I listed earlier, <clears throat> I'm grieving the Holy Spirit when I could be instead everything coming out of my mouth, building up someone, giving them grace to those who hear. The opposite of putrid talk builds up, meets a need, gives grace to everyone who hears what I say. That list that I put up there earlier, if we're not careful, sometimes those things are putrid. It's not helpful. It's not building up unity. So here's my question for you is, what do you need to own before God? What have you been speaking that is not truth in love? Maybe it's on the list. Maybe it's not on the list. A little bit earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.29 is that verse that I've needed to memorize in multiple translations. I'll probably keep doing it. A little earlier, Paul talks about speech one more time. He says in verse 25, Therefore, put away lying. Put away lying. Like, be honest. Don't lie. Don't tell half-truths. Be honest and authentic. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. I really like verse 26, by the way, which says, Be angry and do not sin. Why I like that verse is because the scriptures are emphasizing that anger is not a sin. It's a clear differentiation. You can be angry. You can have hard or difficult to process emotions. You can have them. It's not wrong to have them. It's just wrong to sin in them. That's why he gives that don't hide your emotions. I think one way of saying the verse, put away lying, speak the truth. Don't hide your emotions, but don't sin in your emotions either. Here's what happens. Here's what happens when we choose to do that and speak what is true, to be honest, to be real, to be authentic, and to be loving. And I will say this, at times, in order to speak the truth in love, it will require you and I to dare to be courageously vulnerable. It takes courage to be honest and loving at the same time. Verse 16, to close this morning, says this, From him, Jesus, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. What happens when we apply this to our lives, when we speak the truth in love, is it's one body in Christ growing, being built in love, every person being empowered and encouraged to fulfill their unique assignment, to run their race to the end with their head held high. Friends, running with God's family will require effort, patience, and humility but it will empower you to run worthily all the way to the finish line of life. Let's stand for closing prayer and we'll sing a closing song.
Jesus, thanks that you have a purpose for every person on the planet. You have an assignment that it's your desire that each person fulfill. Thanks that your intention isn't that we're loners and we just go off and do our own job, so to speak, on our own, but that you intend us to do it within the context of a body. We are a body part. You are the head, Jesus, and we are a part of your body. And that being unified, pursuing unity in the body of Christ will empower us to fulfill your unique assignment individually. God, thanks for the truth you reveal in this word. Lord, it's true. Our words are powerful. They can have powerful negative effects. They can have powerful positive effects. Lord, help us, empower us to speak the truth in love. Lord, help us to avoid that foul language, that putrid speech that tears down, but rather to commit ourselves to the words that build up and give grace to those who listen, that we might all be empowered to run together in the race you've given us in life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.